welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Have you heard that the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards is now open for entries? Head to landscapephotographyworldawards.com to find out all the details and how to enter. There's some amazing prizes to be won, and I'll be publishing a book and calendar with the top images from the competition, so plenty to look forward to. Entries close on November 30, 2022, so time is running out to get your entries sorted. I'd also like to thank the judges who have agreed to work with me and be a big part of the awards. Deb Clark, Victoria Hark, Kieran Stone and William Patino. I certainly couldn't make this competition a reality without their support. Sapna Reddy is a landscape photographer based in Northern California. She's currently pursuing dual careers as a photographer and a physician. As a radiologist, she analyzes images in an attempt to establish diagnosis to achieve cure. As a photographer, she aspires to generate images that are both a creative expression for the artist, as well as a therapeutic visual for the viewer. Her work has been awarded in competitions run by National Geographic, USA Landscape Photographer of the Year, Lonely Planet, Popular Photography, and Outdoor Photographer, amongst others. Sapna has been published internationally and featured on Adobe, Sony, Lonely Planet, and Flickr platforms, in addition to incorporation into multiple medical centres to create an ambience of healing. Her images have been used for video conferencing needs by corporations including Google, Gap, Hitachi, Yahoo, etc., She conducts workshops within the US as well as internationally, and these are focused on identifying and fine-tuning individual creative style and creating useful images. These workshops are focused on identifying and fine-tuning individual creative style and creating meaningful images. She's a brand ambassador for Gura Gear and Valorette. In addition, She's a creative collaborator for Bay Photo Lab, Flickr, and BNH. We talk about how she balances her dual careers, why it would be great for a section of the community to stay at home, along with much, much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Sapna. How are you going? I'm doing good, Grant. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, welcome to Landscape Photography World. Uh, what we like to talk about here is obviously how people uh are motivated to get into landscape photography and what what they sort of uh think about when they're uh out shooting and what they think about when they're uh processing images and so forth um i'd like to start uh a little bit differently uh than than i normally do normally i ask you know who you are and where, where you're from and that sort of thing but um i guess one of the things I'm really interested in with photographers is what do you actually like about being a photographer? What is it that makes you want to be a photographer? I think for me, it's that feeling of flow, you know, that that meditative state that we enter when we are completely immersed in the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you transcend to a state of bliss um, when you are able to kind of put your heart, mind and soul on what's present in front of you when you're completely immersed in creating the image. Um, It's unlike anything else we really do in our day-to-day lives. Um, And I I love that feeling. Um, Mm. In some ways, it's like meditation. 
um, I think, in becoming so focused. But I think those of us who are able to indulge in those moments on a repetitive basis have sort of found a secret source of joy. Mm. Um, and it definitely has a very positive impact on our lives when we're able to do that. So uh, for me, photography is uh, the vehicle that takes me to that state. So I, I enjoy Fantastic. it for that reason. Oh, I, I really like that answer. That's uh, that, that's absolutely marvellous. So what would you say to somebody that hadn't seen your work in terms of what your style is? And um, I'd like to get into, once you've talked a, a bit about that, about how that style has developed over time and where you see it going. So I, um, I like to think of... Um the images that I create as uh, serving some sort of uh, therapeutic purpose. Um, so I like to think of it as visual therapy. And um, visual therapy to me means uh, two things. One, the fact that you're standing before something that is obviously uh, beautiful and you have established an emotional connection to, and you're trying to depict uh, how you're feeling towards that scene. Um, so that process is therapeutic, but once the image is generated and then you share it and others view it, the way they take it in is, um, again, visual therapy repeating itself. So Absolutely. both for the creator and the, uh, and the consumer, I think um, both tend to enjoy the therapeutic effects of that visual. So that's been basically my approach. So I like to generate images that are soothing, um, that, that you would like to welcome into your mind and mm -hmm. develop on and uh, sort of uh, have a calming effect uh, on the person uh, who's consuming the art. So that, that's been the impetus for my um, creations. Fantastic. So in, in terms of where your style is at now, uh, is it something that you're really comfortable with? Is it something you're trying to extend on? Uh, and I, I guess I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you've actually developed your style over time and where you see you started and where you see you are now and where you see yourself going. I think when I started out initially, uh, it was more, you know, chasing the shot that, that um, was probably inspired by something that I saw, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, other photographers who I admired whose work I uh, tried to emulate, uh, who gave me inspiration to go out into the outdoors and chase the light and sort of try to create my own version of that location. So initially it was the adventure that drew me outdoors and you know the time that I spent in nature, I really enjoyed and um, it, it was a, uh, more of an adventure <laughs> back then. But I think the more I do it, uh, Actually, now I perceive it as less of an adventure and more of a soothing effect, you know, sort of a healing effect. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's more therapeutic outside. now than it was in the past. Yes, yes. I mean, the adventure is still there, but I guess since, you know, if you keep having adventures on a repeated basis, you sort of get used to that as well. And then yeah, you yeah. start looking for more meaning uh, to what you're pursuing, and that's where the... Uh, healing part comes in, I think, and, you know, finding, like I said earlier, those moments of bliss 
when I can just lose myself completely. Um, so I, I strive for that now um, more than I did before, for sure. So that's sort of the evolution my art has taken. Mm, okay. So what, And what it's is definitely it? a learning process. Uh, oh, think, definitely. Like going forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, obviously, I, I still um, have a long way to go in terms of uh, getting to where I want to be. Uh, so it's it's a continuous um, growth curve, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I guess what is it that you're chasing the most now in your photography? What are you? What are you? Uh, you know, obviously that meditative state is something that uh, mm-hmm. you, you you're really keen on. Is is that where you see yourself? Uh, I guess progressing further or. You know, are you are you looking for other things in in your photography? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, finding that calm state of mind, you know, and and just soaking in the present moment, and uh, observing the nuances of light, sort of fine tuning uh, myself, uh, both in terms of sensory reception as well as uh, you know uh, visual appreciation um, of being in that moment, and then. The technical aspect of it in terms of, okay, what is the story going to be about? How am I Mm -hmm. going to compose it? How can I make it a compelling image? All of that sort of happens almost at a subconscious level now because, you know, you're um, without realizing it, you're probably drawn to something that's in the scene before you. So that automatically becomes the focus of your image. And then all of the knowledge you have gained um, over the years in photography you would apply to say, okay, how can I create a strong visual pathway that that would bring about a compelling image, right? So uh, the arrangement of those visual elements and to remove distractions because you want the image to be more minimalistic and more impactful. So uh, that analysis happens uh, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen. Like I'm still struggling and it's just not coming together. You know, the image just doesn't <laughs> feel right. I have those moments as well. So yeah, I think um, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's important to have goals in your photography? I, I, I am that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. I like to set myself goals, but they're not in terms of like, bagging the shot per se but yep. say um, more more importantly to teach myself to be um, truly happy every time I go out to shoot now that that's a goal I would definitely strive for and that's also something I try to um, talk to uh, uh, in my uh, workshops you know when I'm trying to teach my clients and because oh. I think that is much more important than bagging the shot right because if we have learned to enjoy the experience of acquisition of the image itself, yep. then whether we get the image or not um, becomes superfluous at that point, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, so I hope to achieve that. And the more I shoot, the less important the image becomes, that final image, I mean. And yep. actually, yep. the easier it gets to get something that I am really happy about. So uh, I think I think we all go through that phase where you gradually fine tune your style and sort of settle into what you find truly appealing mm. and uh, being mm. able to recognize it quickly, you know, when you're in the scene and then start to render it. 
So it it seems to be happening with greater frequency now than it did before. Yeah, no, that's so. that's that's great. Do you in in talking about uh, the that process, I guess, do you find yourself uh, taking fewer images now because of that and you're more selective in what you're shooting or do you still sort of uh, and i'm not saying anyone uh is a a spray and pray sort of photographer but you know are, are you yeah. still taking as many as you did when you started uh, yeah i think uh, i have always been a deliberate shooter in fact i i think i always mm. took too few <laughs> and i sort of still do that i'm I tend to take my time with the images and uh, I, I like to, you know, unless the light is changing and the story is changing through the sure, scene, sure. I like to wait uh, and, and see, um, you know, wait for that opportune moment when I do feel that, you know, it's the right time to make the image. Um, when I started initially, I'm sure I took more than I do now because, just because uh, you know, sometimes you don't know what the right moment is. It takes a little bit of practice and sometimes right. yeah. you're not sure of the composition. So you're, you're not trying different perspectives and different compositions. And uh, with practice, uh, the number has definitely gone down and uh, the yield sort of uh, is much better now than it was before. Yeah. But even at the beginning, I think I was a slow shooter. Like I, I took my time taking the images. <laughs> Oh, cool. So that's why I can't shoot wildlife if my life depended on it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of photographers I talk to, uh, particularly at the, the more experienced end of their careers, uh, tend to say that they, you know, they're, they're more than happy just watching the scene in front of them unfold as opposed to, you know, mm -hmm. necessarily busying themselves in the the process of taking the shot, you know, and they, for me, I guess the, the, the question is, is, does that, is, is that something that you're conscious of when you're out in the field? Are you thinking about the fact that, okay, I'm really just going to relax, enjoy what, what's unfolding in front of me, as opposed to, okay, I've got to, got to really nail what I'm doing and, and get the shot. Obviously, you know, changing light, as you said, sometimes gets the, the, the pulse racing a little bit, but uh, that that meditative, right. I guess, uh, experience is something that I, I'd like to explore a little bit more. Yeah, I definitely don't, uh, you know, I, I don't stress out over uh, bagging the shot, but by the same token, I don't spare anything. In, you know, in terms of attention, focus, uh, you know, changing up the perspective, like trying to um, keep up with the technical stuff. Um, yeah. Because it does matter to me, you know, it's, it's time that I'm spending out there, which is well served by generating that image. And since I enjoy creating the image, I definitely invest all of my senses and attention and time and effort in getting the shot. Um, what, I guess I have evolved into is if after all of that effort, the shot doesn't pan out for whatever reason, you know, maybe there wasn't any color in the sky or maybe, you know, some other uh, technical glitch. I have learned not to get upset or frustrated about that. Mm. So what I try to do is to enjoy that process of getting the image 
But if for any reason it doesn't work out, then um, I, I definitely feel I've come to the point where I don't get overtly upset or sad or anything like that. You know, just accept the fact that sometimes it doesn't work out and that's okay. Um, yeah. So. I think that, that, to be honest, that's one of the most healthiest attitudes, I think, uh, towards photography that you can get to is where, okay, things aren't going quite the way you'd like and uh, you kind of just shrug and get on with it, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, a part of the reason why I have gotten to that state is because when I teach workshops and I'm involved with clients, I do have some clients who will feel very bitter when they don't get a shot like mm. very very frustrated and sad and and when that unfolds before you you realize that they have taken a what should have been a beautiful experience and transformed it into something quite ugly yeah uh, only because of uh, something that is beyond our control right so why why do that? I think when it plays out in front of your eyes and you're a little bit removed and watching it as a spectator, you know, because I, I see the client going through it, mm -hmm. every time I see that, it reiterates to me how important it is not to do that. Absolutely. So uh, I think uh, teaching photography, um, I myself have learned so much from from the people around me so I'm, I'm grateful to have that perspective because maybe if I did not teach photography and I did not see other people go through that frustration maybe I would have become a victim to it as well and not even realized it was happening sure sure while we're talking about workshops work, sorry workshops uh why don't we talk a little bit about the business side when when did you decide that uh, photography was going to be uh, something that you wanted to turn into, I, I guess, more of a, a business slash career than uh, anything else you were doing? So um, I actually did not seek out uh, teaching workshops actively. It sort of happened very organically because I was um, posting my images on social media and I had people reach out to me and say, hey, I want to do a one-on-one -on -one workshop with you. Would you like to, you know, set something up? And um, since I'm also in the field of medicine and I'm an educator uh, in that mm -hmm. field, I, I like to teach, you know, I enjoy sharing knowledge and I uh, love to see the uh, improvement and, you know, when I share that knowledge and then see the person receiving it do a great job with it. So it's extremely rewarding um, to go through that exercise for me. And so when people reached out and said, do you want to teach me? I was like, yeah, I'm more than happy to teach you. And the more I started doing that, the more I began to enjoy it. And I was like, I should really make this a part of my photography journey. Mm. And so now I conduct workshops that are uh, confined to small groups, usually um, four or five people is the maximum I take. Yep. And, um, and then, um, you know, it's focused on, uh, basically fine-tuning individual creative vision. So it's not like I'm trying to teach them my style, but I'm hoping that I can help them find their own style and then work yeah. on it and see what they find uh, satisfying as a creator. So, Yeah, I think that's uh, a really important way of educating as well, because 
I mean, you know, you you do hear about you know people that run workshops sometimes you know, actually saying, okay, well, this is the composition. Here's here's how I would shoot it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as you say, mm-hmm. teaching their style as opposed to necessarily teaching people to uh, grow and uh, you know formulate their own. Um, I guess mm-hmm. that that's lead leads me to you know how. Uh, somebody that signs up for one of your workshops, what what could they expect to uh, experience? <laughs> so I um, I get super excited about good conditions. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a lot of positive energy, um, and I love to have adventures in the outdoors. I like to have fun basically um, during the workshop because you know if you're not having fun, I feel you don't really learn that well right you're not you don't have the right frame of definitely, mind, definitely. Um, to be learning i, I think play, then. play play yeah. is a big part of education yes yes so so first and foremost it's like a very easy going relationship you know so everybody feels comfortable um asking questions you know nobody feels like you know uncomfortable raising even the smallest question or doubt they might have Mm. and then there is a sense of camaraderie because it is a small group and you know we are together and we're constantly exchanging ideas and i am um quite involved when it comes to analysis of compositions so because it's a small group i can afford to go from person to person and look over their shoulder and see you know what kind of shot they are working and perhaps give them suggestions and if i feel like the person um is you know very receiving of those suggestions and of course i would give more but if they feel like no, i would like to try this on my own a little bit then i give them you know the space they need so each um person of course would be treated differently depending on what their individual needs are um but the, a lot of the workshop um time is spent on um what we do in the field and then image critique you know how are yeah. our images looking yeah. what would what, what could we do differently and then of course the post processing is also a very big part of the workshop because okay so now you have the raw material but then how are you going to you know into yeah, how are you actually going to take that into the the finished product yeah exactly and infuse it with your creative vision right like make mm-hmm. it your own because mm-hmm. it has to have your personality thrown in there and how do you bring that about and uh, that i find it to be most interesting because that's varied from individual to individual and that's what makes their images unique to them so i love working on that part as well so it's basically from start to finish from how we set up in the field to how we render the final image um helping them along the way and uh, the help is varied depending on what the need is for each person. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um are you running uh multi-day workshops at all or is it just a uh a straightforward here's a day or a half day or or whatever? I I don't do day or half day. They're all multi-day because I yeah. feel like uh that prolonged period of time is necessary to sort of develop a bond you know develop a working relationship and sort of see the progression uh you know so it's usually uh the international workshops are uh, around 2 weeks um at a time and then the domestic ones tend to be 4 or 5 days 
Um, so, you know, by the second or third day, I have a very good handle on, you know, what the person is trying to work on and, you know, what they're struggling with. And so uh, we try to set goals um, together as to, okay, by the end of this workshop, what are the things you would like to make sure that you accomplish? And so we make a list of that and we check all the boxes so that it gets done. So, you know, the client also feels that sense of accomplishment and they have the skills uh, that they wanted to um, get and then practice on their own later on. So. Mm -hmm. What are you doing in terms of uh, the rest, rest of the structure of your photography business? Uh, you're selling prints, NFTs, anything like that? Yeah, so I, um, it's sort of multifaceted. Uh, very early on in my career, I got contacted by an international art uh, gallery franchise, Yellow Corner. They have galleries in about 80 countries worldwide, and they license images and then uh, put them up in these various art galleries, and then they're subsequently sold, and uh, I get uh, a royalty sort of uh, from, from those sales. So that's been yep. going on for about a uh, few years now, eight to 10 years, I think. Okay. And, um, and then um, I have uh, prints selling on my website as well. So occasionally I'll have somebody buying direct from the website. And then um, I also sell prints to corporations, specifically medical centers, because I'm a physician and because I'm focused on creating an ambiance of healing and, you know, mm -hmm. try to generate images that have uh, more of a visual therapy um, uh, emphasis. Uh, I do uh, sell to hospitals and medical centers and have done quite a few of those um, as well. And those are just separate. So I deal with the corporation directly and show so. them my images and come up with a plan and, and then we do either a full cancer center or a full ward or, you know, a floor or a hospital yep. or whatever. Um, so that is uh, done separately. So that's how the print sales have been going. Mm. And then I work as a um, collaborator with multiple brands. So I am a brand ambassador for Sony Alpha. Yep. And I also represent uh, Gura Gear, who make camera bags and Nisi filters. And I work closely with uh, Adobe. Um, I actually am an educator for Adobe and I'm currently developing their uh, landscape learning module for Lightroom Academy. So I'm writing the chapters for that. Cool. Um, and I also intermittently will submit articles to Adobe um, on specific topics uh, apart from the Lightroom Academy. And then um, I work with... Um, Flickr, um, you know, and uh, photo pills, like different yep, yep. Um, uh, platforms and um, both as a content creator or, or sometimes they'll have a focus group sort of thing where they bring me on as an educator and I do that. Um, I also give talks, so I attend like photography conferences and I'm a speaker. Um, I represent B&H, the camera store in New York. Yep. And so I do webinars for them. And then when they have conferences, uh, the optic conferences, I am uh, talking um, on stage for them do for that. And then I also speak for um, camera clubs. I give talks for camera clubs. So uh, 
the presentations um, for, with all these brands and stuff are like a different part of the photography business. Um, and then I submit articles to magazines um, like On Landscape or Outdoor Photographer sure. Um, sure. occasionally. Yeah, so I, I like to write um, some articles. There are <laughs> far fewer now just because everything that's on my plate right now. I was going to say, so, yeah, how, I, how do you find time for it all? <laughs> How, how do you balance yeah. your time? And, uh, you know, obviously there's there's your own photography that uh, you, you like to do as well. So how do you how do you balance the the um, competing demands that you have? So my own photography, I uh, it's it, it ends up being on scouting expeditions because, like, usually uh, if I say I want to set up a workshop in Namibia, then I will go to Namibia and mm -hmm. spend time there and scout the locations, try to understand the place, you know, um, yep. understand the potential for various locations and also sort of work out the logistics, see if I, you know, have the right uh, tour guides, the drivers, you know, all of the support staff that I need to run the workshop. And so during that time, uh, I tend to shoot on my own um, and, so majority of my personal time is actually time that I'm scouting out, out locations. Sometimes the location works out, sometimes it doesn't, but at least yeah. I get to experience a place and get to, you know, shoot to my heart's content. So oh. I like that. Um, and then, of course, that whenever I need to, I live pretty close to Yosemite, so I can get away uh, to Yosemite or to Death Valley and just, uh, have quite a few friends in the photography community. So sometimes, you know, we just want to relax and have a good time. Then we're just shooting um, yeah. on our own during those periods as well. Because obviously when I'm with clients, that's all work related and I can't yeah, really yeah. shoot for myself during that time. So, um, yeah, I tend to do that. Um, so it does serve a purpose. Even when I'm shooting on my own, I'm actually kind of, working towards that model of business because that could potentially develop into a workshop in the future yeah right right one one of the questions every photographer has that is looking to either start up in business and so forth is how how to price your work and how to price uh, or put a value on on things and i'm not after specific numbers here it's more about the process mm -hmm. of thinking about okay what's my time worth how do i you know how do i pull that together um do you have any uh hints or tips that you could pass on that uh people could use i think um because you are competing in a very competitive market you know there's so many people who are doing workshops now and given the plethora of information we have at our fingertips it's pretty easy for anyone to set up a workshop right and yeah, tracking yeah. clients might be difficult but in terms of being able to establish locations and stuff like that it's pretty easy because so much of the information is available online i think um, one of the first steps uh, to consider if somebody is trying to set up a workshop and trying to decide on the price is to see what others are pricing similar workshops at, you know, if it's four to five mm -hmm. days in a certain location, um, what is, what is the current rate? And you'll see that depending on what 
there, there is definitely a hierarchy <laughs> amongst the creators in that some are highly sought after, you know, because they're extremely skillful, yeah. have had a phenomenal body of work, and obviously they can command a price that's far higher than others who may be uh, more mediocre. And then, of course, there is the person who's just starting out, so they'll have to price it a little bit lower just to attract clients in the beginning. So there is quite a big range in terms of um, workshop pricing. But one thing that I would caution anyone who's just starting to do workshops is to have a higher standard, you know, to basically charge sort of uh, mid to higher level and deliver at a really high level. I think that's a better business model to have rather than to say, let me, you know, charge low and sort of because that impacts everything. It impacts where you can go, how much you can yeah. spend on gas, how much you can spend on hotels. Are your clients comfortable? Are they getting a good night's rest? Are they eating well, right? Everything gets impacted if you try totally. to slash yeah. the price. And then in the end, the goal should be to get repeat clients. So if your clients are not happy with the experience they have had, then you have essentially just hurt your own business. Uh, and undercutting somebody else's price didn't really help because like, you know, you have lost your own clients in, in trying to maintain something at a low cost. So I think that's important to keep in mind and say, how can I deliver a truly exceptional experience and still uh, stay within the ballpark of reasonable charge? Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. How do you define success in your photography? I think success means different things to different people. <laughs> Because no, no, that's why I'm uh, asking you. What, what's your definition? Right, right. Yeah. My definition. Okay. So my definition is that I like. Let's say I'm doing a workshop, and at the end of the workshop, if I have had a really good time, and I look at the clients and they say this is one of the best workshops we have had, then to me that is that is success right there you know because you you wanted to execute something because you had a desire to do it and when it was completed you and the people around you felt very good about it that that to me is success and if you can do that on a repeated basis then i think that that's the definition of success for me um everything else in terms of like uh the monetary aspect of it in terms of growing your business, uh, in terms of visibility in social media, all of those, I think, uh, develop as a consequence of that initial feeling of success. So as mm-hmm. long as I'm able to deliver on my promise and, you know, it's well received and, and it's a job that's well executed, then I'm happy because everything else I feel falls into place once that's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. You've obviously travelled widely uh, around the world and to some very exotic locations. What locations are still on your, you know, bucket list? And and the, I, I guess the the high ones. Everyone's list is uh, way longer than anybody could live or possibly live to to get to all of them. But uh, what what's sort of the num number two, one, two, and three on your on your list now? So I had never been to Africa before, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I recently went to Namibia and I, I 
had to kick myself for not having gone sooner. I just fell in love with Africa and I would like to explore so many more parts of that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely on my list of places to sort of get into more. And then the other place that I really need to start photographing more is India. I have been to a lot of places in India because yeah. I grew up in India. But I was not a photographer when, you know, I was in India no. and I was growing up. And uh, so I never really photographed. And every time I go back, I tend to spend time with family. And if I feel kind of guilty to take time away from family and go photograph. Yeah, so I, I, I know exactly so- what you mean. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's ironic that, that I have not done as much as I would like to. Um, so... I have like this list of places that I would really like to go to and photograph and start setting up workshops in India. And so that's another uh, place that that I'm definitely thinking of. Mm. Um, And then the rest, I actually just keep my mind open. Uh, I love traveling. I love exploring new places. I love seeing new cultures. So it's not like um, there's so much more that I have to see. And so I just keep my mind open. And when somebody says, hey, you know, do you think you want to go to Croatia? The answer is always yes. Do you want to go to Morocco? Yes. (laughs) I want to go everywhere. Never Um, say no. (laughs) It's a matter of time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, why why would you not go? That's Um, right. So, yeah, I loved my time in China. I mean. Japan. I've, I've been to quite a few places, but I would love to revisit because even as a photographer, I feel heavy walls. I shoot different things now and definitely mm. shoot with a very different style. So it would be so nice to go back and, uh, and generate something that's you know more meaningful to me at this stage. Yeah, definitely. I guess I'd like, like to take you back to the beginning. Where, where's your earliest photography memory? What, what's the first thing you remember, you know, uh, shooting? That's a really good question. I think it happened so subconsciously that I did not even realize it. You know, I, uh, so I was a medical student and uh, I already had kids. I had kids before I hit medical school. Yep. So we were obviously very poor. <laughs> Because all the money went uh, towards paying the medical school fees sure, and sure. Uh, whatever was left for, for the kids. So all of our um, uh, time, all of our vacations were camping trips, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Even growing up, I used to be very outdoorsy, but especially as a young parent and as a student, I was spending a lot of time in nature because um, we could afford camping couldn't really afford hotels and you know fancy places and that was a blessing in disguise because I was starting to take pictures of my kids and I was starting to do it in the outdoors and then gradually the camera turned from the kids to just outdoors and started documenting nature and before I knew it I was making (laughs) images of nature so it it happened um really so gradually that I did not even realize that I was falling in love with photography. Yeah, yeah. And then what actually gave the impetus to the art was uh, when I was working at the hospital, um, I was um, not very happy with the ambience we had in the hospital in terms of, you know, the, the walls were very uh, whitewashed and, you know, fluorescent yep. lights and a very intimidating atmosphere. And 
I felt that the time I was spending in nature was very therapeutic. And, you know, why don't we display images of nature on the walls, create Mm -hmm. a better ambience for healing? And so when I uh, proposed the idea to the hospital board, they, they liked it. And they said, sure, we can do it. And so that sort of gave me the motivation to go out and start generating images because they were accepting of my images going on the walls. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah. that's kind of how I got into nature photography. And uh, now there was purpose behind it because it was important to generate images of high quality that would have a speaking yeah. effect and would be could be printed really big in size and put up on the walls. So um, that's sort of how the journey in photography started about 10 years ago. Yeah, fantastic. So was that the that uh, impetus to generate those images for the hospital, et cetera? Um, was that where you sort of, it started to click for you to shift, I guess, from where most photographers start, which is, you know, documenting what's around them to actually creating something that's more artistic? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because the first round when I took images to them, I was just taking wow images, you know, like raging sunrises and sunsets. And yep. they took one look at that and said, this this won't work because, yeah. you know, to a person who is uh, sort of anxious and, uh, you know, upset, you don't want to present them necessarily with drama. Yeah, you know, yeah. dramatic skies aren't really where you want to be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no. So you wanna you want more blues and greens. And yeah. I started understanding how certain colors are important to incorporate into the images to have a soothing effect and how to avoid certain colors. Yep. If, you know, they might cause um too much drama. So yeah, uh it was interesting, an interesting learning experience. Yeah, definitely. I've I've actually got a print client that uh demands blue skies doesn't doesn't like clouds and even white puffy ones doesn't doesn't want them wants just clear blue skies um and yeah part of that is is actually a mental health thing so I, i'm happy to apply yeah. it's, it's just a, a bit of anathema yeah. to a landscape photographer they're usually the the worst skies to shoot <laughs> yes yes but actually i think see a sunrise or a sunset that is like flaming is easy to shoot right Absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's wonderful to capture. And of course, we look forward to it and love the drama. But I think when you have to go beyond that and you're given something more bland and now you're asked to create sort of magic from the mundane, mm. I think when you succeed in doing that, it's a much more rewarding process. Because Absolutely. anybody yeah. when can can get a phenomenal picture if they have phenomenal conditions, right? But totally. what if you did not have phenomenal conditions and you still have a certain purpose behind your photography and then you're able to accomplish that, I think the joy you derive from that is far greater. Totally, totally agree with you there. Yeah. What's the most memorable photography experience you've had? So I went to the um, National Redwood Forest in uh, uh, Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, this was sort of very early in my career and uh, I had just you know sort of learned the fundamentals of photography and uh, I I did have in my mind that I want to generate images that are sort of healing and can be used for hospital walls but didn't quite know how I was going to do that and so uh, as I was walking through the forest the fog was getting really thick and my initial 
idea was to take the trail down to the coast and see if I could create something there. But then the fog was getting so thick towards the ocean that I had to turn back. And I was like, okay, I'm going to walk back to higher ground and see if I can put myself above the fog bank and perhaps create something. Mm. And as I was walking back, um, I was in this uh, redwood forest where these trees are hundreds, if not thousands of years old. And, you know, they're hundreds of stories tall and they just make you feel very small and your problems really insignificant. Um, So I'm walking back and then all of a sudden I see the sun is beginning to pierce through the fog and God beams um, are forming behind these giant redwood trees. And that was, I think, that was my first spiritual experience in nature as far as finding flow and you know i had never experienced that that feeling of flow before while for the for the photography photography was being pursued so it was just uh an eye-opener for me i didn't even know that you could achieve such a state (laughs) you know and and so that i think i distinctly remember falling to my knees and remembering all the technical aspects that I, you know, I have to shoot with multiple exposures. I have to use a wide angle lens and, uh, you know, all of that stuff was kicking in, but more importantly, just, it was such an awe-inspiring scene. And when I looked at the back of my camera, I had to gasp and say, oh my God, I have the power to actually capture something this beautiful. I had no mm. idea that, that I could create something you know, that, that uh, beautiful. So in that instant, the joy I felt, I was like, I need to feel this again and again. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's yeah. def- definitely an addiction, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. I think once you experience that, it's like, okay, how can I get back to the state again and again? Yeah. How far do you travel each year in your photography? I travel quite a bit because, first of all, my parents are, uh, my mom's in uh, India, so I visit mm-hmm. her every three months. So that 10,000-mile journey is, like, habitual now. I do it every three months. So traveling to me, and I've done it for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have always been a global traveler. Um, and now, since I conduct workshops all over the world, there is quite a bit of travel involved in that as well. Um, even during the pandemic, I was able to get out, not internationally, of course, but, you know, domestically, I was still able to get out and photograph. And it was sort of a pleasure to have the places quiet and nobody there and everything being quiet out in the wilderness. Um, I would say... I almost travel on a monthly basis. Wow. Okay. Do you find that where you live influences how you shoot in any way? I think so. Um, You know, I live in California and we're surrounded by uh, such natural beauty and so many locations to choose from. So it's no um, accident that we have so many nature photographers in the Bay Area. Uh, specifically mm. Northern California. I mean, we have our oceans, we have our mountains, um, and we have our forests. So there is a plethora of uh, subject matter <laughs> to indulge ourselves in. Uh, I think it definitely, uh, I think it's the same for Pacific Northwest. You know, you have a whole bunch of nature photographers there. 
Um, Utah also attracts a bunch of nature photographers. So people yeah, who live yeah. in these places, I think you just fall in love with what you're surrounded by, and you know you start to capture it. Yeah. What What came first, the photography or the choice to live where you live? I did not. I don't think I was even indulging in photography that much when we moved to California. Because sure. um, I was like in the middle of my medical training, and yep, uh, yep. I was taking pictures, but it had not you know, turn professional yet. So definitely the move to California was not uh, premeditated in terms of, oh, I'll be able to pursue nature photography there. Rather, after I came to California and started working in the hospital and realized, oh, we need images of nature, that then I began to look around and say, of yeah, course, well, we're in the middle yeah. of you know, so much, so why not? Yeah. Mm. So I got lucky that way, you know, uh, things worked out. Do you have a favourite spot that you uh, keep getting called back to? And uh, if so, why, what is it that makes you keep going back? There are two places that I go back to, I guess, partly because of proximity and partly it's just the way they make me feel. So the one that's closest to home is Yosemite. And uh, mm. it's just, um, I feel it's God's playground. I mean, you Yeah, there's there just so much there to, to photograph. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, such vast open spaces. I don't like it, of course, during the summer months when there's a bunch of tourists, but especially like after a winter storm, you know, there's mm. nobody in the park uh, and and you walk in and it's just a winter wonderland. Uh, so I absolutely love photographing Yosemite through all the seasons, but especially winter. And the other place that I really like to go to are the redwood forests uh, up in, by uh, Oregon border, you know, California Oregon border, yeah. and uh, love love that just because um, there's something about those old growth forests, you know, something very spiritual, and to realize there were so many, you know, people who walked those paths before me, and these trees have stood there uh, through the test of time, and that they'll be there, you know, for. I don't know how many more hundreds of thousands of years. It, it's good to know that. that yeah, yeah. Of, uh, we may be transient, but there is something greater, something more beautiful that will last long after we are gone. It's a good feeling to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess that brings me to what the practice of photography has taught you about the world. It's taught me to be more patient. <laughs> Because, you know, when you have to wait for hours together uh, for the right yep. light, you practice patience. It has taught me to be present in the moment, right? Because you have to be keenly aware of what is happening before you. You can't be lost thinking about the past or be worried about what will happen in the future. Yeah. But to yep. be just present in the moment, it has taught me to appreciate the little things in life, you know, the dew drops on a leaf, mm. you know, the color of the clouds at sunset, the smell of wet earth, you know, all of these things which which seem like small things but are actually probably the more important things in life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and to sort of garner those little joys, if I can call them, yeah. because, you know, those yeah. add up. And that's what makes life overall a happier one, when you can take pleasure in those little moments. Yeah, that's wonderful. I guess I'd like to talk a little bit about the the process now and how you sort of plan for 
a photography trip, and it's not necessarily an overseas one, one, one that you're doing for your own photography. So I'm definitely um, scouting out locations that I find interesting mm-hmm. um, in terms of the geographical um, places that I get to. But once I get there, what I actually pick to shoot that particular day really depends on the light, depends on the weather, you know, what kind of atmosphere I get. Um, So I don't know what the actual image is going to be about. I just know that I would like to explore this place, you know, and and try to create images there. Um, And I think reacting to light and reacting to conditions is what um, has given me the best yield when it comes to finding uh, or being able to create images that really resonate with me. Um, I'm not the kind of person who has like a preconceived notion of, you know, this is the exact image I want to create. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I don't have that. Uh, yeah, I I would find that very restrictive and almost a little bit boring, right? Because then the, what's the challenge? It's good to not know what I'll create that day, but say, okay, I'm going to be in the forest. So I have a general idea of what kind of things I want to be looking out for, but um, the images will come to me rather than yeah. me trying to um, gun down one <laughs> one image. Yeah, I, I really like that approach too. Um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you're in the field, what, what are those things, you know, obviously the light, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a foreground thing. What are the things that are sort of those that you're letting catch your eye? So I like to think of it as like um, the focal points that I'm drawn to. Um, so if I'm analysing the scene before me, then obviously, like you said, the light and conditions will influence what becomes the protagonist of the story. And once I identify, okay, this is a story about such and such a focal point, then at that point, it is how can I arrange uh, that in an aesthetic fashion uh, to basically minimize distractions, make it a compelling composition so the story comes through strongly. And that is what I find to be challenging. You know, sometimes uh, we are able to do that and we are able to position ourselves in a certain way or shoot, shoot in a certain fashion that minimizes those distractions. And then at other times, no matter how hard I try, it becomes too complex a scene and I just can't get, you know, it's too confusing a story and I have to give up. Um, So that's sort of the challenge I face. And, uh, but making that first emotional connection to something in the scene and saying, this is what I want the story to be about is sort of my starting point. Yeah, right, right. So once you've, I guess, captured what it is that you're you're happy with, are you straight back home, straight onto the computer and uh, and edit straight away, or are you more of the let it uh, sit there for a while and or maybe even forget about it for for a little while and come back to it, you know, days or months later? So um, actually, because I'm pursuing a dual career in medicine and in photography, there are no days off. Um, literally so if I have finished shooting and I've come home it's because I have a shift starting at 8 a.m the next morning right probably going to run for 12 or 14 hours so I don't have that luxury of being able to you know take the time to download immediately or post process immediately because there is a huge other part of my life that 
I need to, you know, sort of hit the ground running. Yeah, right. So um, I very rarely will have the time to even download the images right after a shoot. Uh, it'll be a few days before I can download the images and then a few more days before I can get to post-processing them. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, it'll be just one image that I can get to because I just feel like, you know, doing something that day. Um, but usually every day, uh, even when I'm working in medicine every day, at the end of the day, and before I go to sleep, I try to spend at least one to two hours immersing myself in doing something that's related to photography that is creative. Yeah. It just helps me to sort of calm myself down. And, you know, it's just a good part of the day. You know, it's yeah. sort of like my relaxation phase. And so um, I sort of enter this, maybe not to the same uh, degree as I do in the field, you know, that feeling of bliss when you're lost in creating mm -hmm. that image in the field. But I do uh, experience a similar feeling uh, when I'm post-processing because it's still a creative process and you're still adding, you know, your own uh, creative vision to how that image is coming about. So I don't feel rushed. Um, I actually enjoy the process. So I take my time. Sometimes, you know, it may take only five minutes to get what I feel quite satisfied about. Sometimes it takes five days and I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm still struggling <laughs> with it. Yeah. So it's it varied from image to image. But uh, I try to put in at least a little bit of time yeah, um, nice. every day. Now, does that really happen every day? Not really, <laughs> because life yeah, has no, I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in, in terms of processing style, are you fairly minimalistic or are you, uh, you know, one to create lots of different layers and, you know, lot, lots of uh, small edits on, on, you know, individual parts of the, the, the image? How, how do you go about that? Is it, is it something that you've um, sort of uh, developed as a, a, a standing process or is it something that you just sort of let the image speak to you and uh, edit as you see fit from there? It's very different from image to image. So I do take quite a bit of time to post-process. Um, if needed, I can definitely add, you know, multiple layers and masks and go after every um, subsection of the image and mm -hmm. you know, adjust every color and sort of make it a very labor intensive process if I feel that image warrants that kind of post-processing. Um, yep. But by the same token, you know, if I come across an image that I just feels right, right off the bat, and it just needs minimal adjustment and I'm done in five minutes. So I, it's not the amount of post-processing that I have to do uh, that makes an image feel right. It's more whether my creative vision is being met or not, you know, uh, whether the end product is something I resonate with and I'm happy with uh, from an aesthetic perspective or not. Sometimes I will post process for days and at the end of it, I'm still not happy with it. Then, you know, it's not an image that is successful for me. Yeah. Um, and at other times, even with minimal post-processing, I get an image that I feel is worthy of being featured in my portfolio. So, I don't think it's so much the process. I mean, it might, it doesn't mean that I hiked a lot to get the shot or, you know, yeah. whatever went yeah. into generate the image doesn't matter. 
because at in the end the only thing that matters is what is the visual before me right mm. and do i resonate with it and connect with it and does it have true emotional impact or does it not and that that's that is the answer to whether that image is successful yeah yeah how do you deal with frustration and uh maybe hitting creative walls that i think is uh, a luxury that photographers can enjoy because <laughs> if you can photograph every day then you might have periods where you have a creative block but yep. if you are literally starved you know to photograph like if you're looking forward to photograph there is really no time for a creative block right yeah, and yeah. i um since i flip flop between the two professions um there isn't really time to feel fatigued or tired of either one mm. so yeah, like say i work uh 3 days in medicine by the time the fourth day rolls around i'm switching hats and becoming a photographer so yeah. there were, those three days were not enough to fatigue me in working in medicine and then when i do photography and i do it for a few days and then it's time to switch back to medicine so i haven't really spent so much time in photography that i've gotten bored or like you know, yeah yeah you've had enough yeah. the potential yeah. right right so actually in a strange way uh forcing myself to go back and forth makes me truly appreciate each of those fields even more mm. so when i'm mm. doing medicine i do miss photography and when i'm doing photography i miss medicine so um i i understand each one uh, has a very very positive impact on my life and i crave it quite a bit um having said that i mean of course there are periods in my life when you know something may have happened that makes it difficult to achieve a state of flow like mentally if you are not at peace um because of events that happen in life it's possible yeah. that you cannot enter a creative state right you you kind of have to be at peace with yourself to be able to create quality art and if you're not able to achieve that peace how are you going to create the art so especially during the pandemic and during periods when i've had personal loss it has been really difficult to create yeah. so those are definitely periods um that that i could not uh, that i simply could not create and during those periods i actually took the time to ju- just be in nature and not place any demands on myself to not even take out the camera and just say why don't you just sit here and just heal you know just take in the sights and sounds and smells and don't place any demands on yourself you know just be <laughs> that's yeah no, that's and that helped and yeah and and that really helped to just be and not have to do anything and not have to answer to anything and just spend time in quiet solitude and um and then after those periods you find yourself even more creative than before i think they're extremely therapeutic and then your creativity just bounces back because that's how you do begin to heal yourself by immersing yourself in the art form all over again absolutely absolutely What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? I think we are probably our biggest enemies, right? Because like say yep. you want to talk about social media and say well Instagram is not supporting me. Um well Instagram is not uh supporting you because Instagram is a platform that is trying to make money. It's not a platform that That's is That's right. You're the product. <laughs> supposed to be. You're <laughs> exactly. 
So when you say, oh, I don't want to make reels, I just want to post photos and Instagram is not supporting me. I think that mentality that I am more important than an entire platform or like my art is more important than say a videographer's reel or something is our biggest hurdle. Like mm-hmm. If we did not indulge in that ego and said, I am not so important, you know, my art is not so important. It's okay. If it's good, people get to see it. If it's not good, people don't see it. That's okay. The thing is, if you have taught yourself to be happy in the process of creating itself, then it doesn't really matter that much what happens later on. That's from the emotional aspect of it. But one could argue, what about the financial aspect of it, right? Like if you're drawing money from it, um, then how how can you not be under stress? And I think that's where, um, you know, we often talk about how we say, let the image come to you. Don't chase after the image because when Mm -hmm. the image comes to you, it's of higher quality. I think a similar approach is needed even when you're trying to sell prints or teaching workshops. At the end of it, it's your talent that counts and it's your creative potential that's being measured against others. So anything we do to distract ourselves from our creative potential basically means we produce work that is not of high quality. And once we do that, we're basically burning our career, right? Yeah, totally. So I think having that self-discipline and not letting our thoughts, you know, get away to the negative space and staying with a positive attitude and keeping our expectations low, uh, I think is probably the best route to take. So we maintain a sense of calm and a sense of joy through the whole creative process. And uh, hopefully that'll translate to success, both emotionally and uh, financially. Fantastic, fantastic. Where do you see the future of photography going? I think it's very interesting because I was just um, looking up, uh, you know, what is that called? Um, I forget the artificial intelligence platform um, where you just mid-ground or something. I'm I'm probably um, misspeaking. Yeah, there's there's about three or four out there. Right, right. So you can just talk and say, I'm seeing a mountain surrounded by fog, blah, blah. So basically you are creating an image based on your imagination, right? Mm. Something that you have not even seen um, physically, but something you have perceived as say in your mind's eye and you're, and you're creating it. I think that's fantastic. I think it's fantastic that you can look within yourself and then come up with images that don't even exist. Mm. Um, and if you're happy doing that, then so be it. But for me, the joy in photography comes from the time that I spend in the outdoor spaces. It comes from being present away from my computer, away from technology, away from everybody in solitude, in nature. And to me personally, there is no substitute for that. So if there are others like me who feel the same way, that the true reward is the time they're spending in the outdoors, then no matter how much artificial intelligence comes up and no matter how many virtual images we create or virtual worlds, it won't matter Mm. because for Mm. us, we'll still go out into the real world and still have those real 
experiences and feel better because of that. And there will be others who will do the same. So when I talk to my workshop clients about, you know, what is the need to get up at 4 a.m. when you could just sit at your computer and, you know, create the image of a sunrise, their answer has always been because I want to see it in person. I want yeah, to you want to experience it. it. Yeah. Right, right. So I think... Um, From a creator's perspective, it's very interesting that we're entering a virtual world where AI is going to have such a hefty role in creating imagery. But as far as personal experiences go, I think people, just humans, it's it's our nature to be out there and have those adventures and feel the adrenaline pumping. So I think we'll continue to do that. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I can't see... Uh, extracting the human element out of the the, the process uh, really taking on because, as you said, it's that experience of being there in the moment that people actually crave, not necessarily the end result of the, the photograph. Yeah. I mean, there's there's loads yeah, of people. And, that- and it might be, yeah, and it might be better for us, Grant, if there is a subsection of human society that just wants to sit on their couch and play virtual sure. games. Then our the then the places that we want to go to are less crowded, and I'm all for that. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> the less the less people in my shots, the better. <laughs> Right, exactly. I'm, I'm like, go for it. You don't need to be out there. I'll be out there. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll be out there taking the shots for you. <laughs> and whether you look at them yeah. or not, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? If I wasn't a photographer, what would I be? Um, well, I'm already a physician. <laughs> so that is a trick question. Uh, I would probably do more of medicine. But on in my other life, I would probably do be like a tour guide or, you know, uh, um, like just take people out into nature to have adventures, like not necessarily take pictures, but just to have the experience. I think that's what I would be doing. Yeah. What what's your least favorite thing about being a photographer? Least favorite thing about being a photographer. Um I think let me think about that. Um uh, maybe it's um you know that sense of um competition that is thrust upon us. Uh, yeah. maybe it's it's sort of the pressure we put on ourselves, right? Like yep. once we have created a body of work it's um we have to be extra careful not to fall into the trap of trying to be perfect constantly like making every image better than the last yep. not be possible so um i feel that we put a lot of pressure upon ourselves especially once we have earned respect amongst our peers we are so scared about taking risks and and maybe putting out an image that might not be up to our standard because we're, you know, sort of have this reputation to uphold. And it's sort of a general feeling we uh, perpetuate with Mm. our behavior. And I wish we did not have to do that. I wish we could just let go. I wish we would not be judged, you know, if, if somebody threw out an image that may, may not be their best that everybody wouldn't say, oh, what the heck is going on, sort of, but say it's okay, you know. It's okay once in a while to to just have something that may not be very high standard come out and still not lose respect. 
Yeah, sure, sure. Are there any photographers uh, that are catching your eye at the moment that you think I should be talking to? Well, my um, mentor was Mark Adamus. Um, mm. More than his photography style, it was his sense of adventure. You know, I was yep. very timid and had not really done too many uh, extreme outdoor uh, activities before I met him and hanging out with him. Uh, he basically does like heli hiking tours, you know, kayaking amongst glaciers, stuff like that, which yeah. um, uh, gave me confidence, you know, and he pushed me to hike, you know, greater distances at higher elevations and that sort of thing. And I think, um, for that reason, I respect him a lot. Uh, of course, his art is um, uh, very awe-inspiring too, but mm-hmm. especially the fact that he taught me to love that sense of adventure. Uh, I think he's definitely one uh, worth... To- uh, have you spoken to him already? I haven't yet. Really? He's on He's on my list. I haven't approached him yet, though. Yeah, yeah. So um, definitely. Uh, and, uh, you know... Um, I think it's good to incorporate more women. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm always on the lookout uh, for, for great female photographers. Right, right. And yeah, and I was looking at your list and I see that you do have quite a few of us uh, coming on to your podcast. So thank you so much for that. Um, definitely appreciate that, uh, especially because we're still a minority in the field, but it looks like we're growing quite rapidly at the moment. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of, you know, if you could interview people who focus on nature conservation, um, you know, the sure. influence of the world, they, all, they have quite a bit of attention, but, you know, every time they, when the purpose of the photography is nature conservation, I think individuals like that do need to be, um, you know, brought to the forefront because they're doing something that impacts all of us. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's another thing that's uh, always very high on my list in, in looking for people that are uh, uh, out there to, to talk to. Um, I actually had a uh, climate scientist on here from uh, Sydney University who uh, uh, was on a, a couple of weeks ago and um, he's, you know, A, a fantastic photographer, but B, really up to date on the latest climate science and what's going on with conservation and everything. And a a big focus of his work is obviously uh, making sure that uh, people are are made aware. He uses his photography and his education as well uh, as, as visual aids. Mm -hmm. As as you know, you know, the best, the, the best way is to show, not tell. Exactly. Exactly. So how did you pick me, Grant? Uh, because we haven't really interacted before this, right? No, no. Uh, it was a combination of uh, a few of those things. A, you, you're female. <laughs> um, B, you're an amazing <laughs> photographer. <laughs> That's first and foremost. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at people's work and if it inspires me, then uh, they, they usually get on the list that way. Um, oh, thank I think you. you also got mentioned by a few others uh, that I've spoken to in, in the past as well. Um, and I've uh, I've also heard you speak in spaces in uh, on on Twitter a couple of times as well, and uh, so fairly early on when I first started this, you you got put on the list. So, no, thank you. And thank you very much for your time. Um, I've only got one more question for you, and uh, for some of my listeners, it's the most important one that I can ask. Do you like pineapple on pizza? 
Am I in Italy or am I in America? You're, <laughs> You're in America. America. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in America, yes. If I'm in Italy, that's disgusting. <laughs> you know what they say, you got to be a Roman in Rome. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you uh, today, Sapna, and thank you so much for giving uh, as much of your time as you, as you have. Where can people find your work? My website is sapnareddy.com. I'm also available on Instagram with my name and the Facebook page is Sapna Reddy Photography. Flickr is also um, by my name, Sapna Reddy, and on Twitter is photodoc, F-O-T-O-D-O-C. So all of those places, I usually share my um, images. The Flickr account is the most up-to-date because <laughs> my website intermittently gets updated. The new work is still not there, but Flickr gets it, and then it's subsequently posted to Instagram and Facebook. Cool. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Grant. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. I hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.